Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Rutia. Gabby, it's FSU Hate Week. You ready? Love it. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm so, so ready. Even though this year's game might be a bit of a pillow fight in terms of the, the teams not being up to the standard of what has made this the greatest rivalry in college football. Um, it's always a fun week, right? So we'll get into it. Uh, we're going to first share our thoughts from the Georgia Tech game after re-watching it. Um, we will then provide some of our first impressions of Florida State, uh, what we think this year's Florida State team's kind of all about. We will then take a break and we will talk recruiting, right? Because Anytime it's Miami Florida State week, it's it's an important time in in the recruiting phase of the football program, um, and also too, there's just a lot of stuff happening in general uh, in the college football landscape to touch on with Miami's recruiting efforts, and then we will discuss the the news and notes that came out of today's press conferences uh, with Manny Diaz and the coaching staff. So. Let's uh, let's just jump right to it, Gabby. I'll let you start first with where you want to take the Georgia Tech game conversation. Um, what jumped out to you after rewatching it? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, it was I, I didn't really know how to believe because I was a little conflict, conflicted with like the fact that it felt like Miami was clearly the better team. Um, you know, I thought that they came out and sort of did what I asked them to do. You know, start fast, come out of the gate, score points, get in the end zone felt like they were doing all that. It felt like they could have done it a few more times, but still, you know, like we called it a trap game and it still felt like Miami sort of played down in a way, uh, just in terms of the fumbles and, you know, just sort of being lackadaisical with the ball or just, you know, not protecting it maybe the way that you should have and really just letting a team hang around that it, it, it really just felt like probably, I just feel like there was an opportunity to make a big statement there, a big statement win, um, a chance to probably go up 21-0 if Charleston Rambo doesn't fumble that first pass. Um, you know, it just felt like just another sort of Miami team that just really didn't sort of fully rise to the occasion and fully sort of do what they probably could have done, uh, to an opponent, an opponent that felt inferior to me. So, you know, um, definitely I felt good. I felt like just like the actual, like, did you like that? I think there was like the dominance was 
not the dominance, the potential dominance was yeah. obvious, right? Like yeah, Miami exactly. was clearly the better team. Do you, you can push back on this if you want, but like some fumbles to me, like fumble in terms of if we're talking turnovers, fumbles to me are more fluky than interceptions. Um, and look, I, I do think Georgia tech deserves credit because clearly I don't know if they do this every week, but at least against Miami, like every tackling attempt, they were punching the ball, ripping at the ball. Like it was clearly a point of emphasis against Miami. I didn't notice that watching them leading up to this Miami game. So, uh, they definitely executed that, um, point of emphasis to me. Yeah, I agree. Like it's disappointing that, you know, they got two of those turnovers kind of came either off a big play with Rambo, which was getting the offense deep into the Georgia tech territory. And then the Elijah Royo thing, you know, they're right on, I don't know if they cracked the red zone, but they were right there. Yeah. They were, and that was, that was like a millisecond away, I think from his knee being down. Right. And so, yes, of course you never want turnovers. Yes. Of course, turnovers change the game. In my opinion, though, I don't know if this is something that's going to like plague this team right. moving forward, like in, like three interceptions would. Right? Exactly. Does that make sense, though? No, and I'm I mean, not it excusing does. it. It's just I don't know. I, I mean, I, I feel like you, with the interceptions, it's like your quarterback's making bad decisions. With the fumbles, it seems like it, it is. I mean, it is a little fluky. Miami hasn't fumbled a lot this season. Um, this isn't something that's necessarily been characteristic of this team to lose the ball that way. It did feel like Georgia Tech was just kind of hammering it in there. Uh, again, they sort of had like the back-to-back offensive plays where Miami fumbled, and that just sort of felt like, again, just a little fluky. But yeah, I mean, I think the only time I saw Georgia Tech do that, just watching them, was against North Carolina. I think they made Sam Howell okay. fumble twice, and I think they recovered a third fumble at some point of the game. So uh, maybe it's just a part of the way they do it. Like, you know, they're going to have to strip the ball away. They have, to, And kudos to them for, for, you know, really capitalizing on that and, you know, just making those plays. I mean... That's what you have to do as an underdog, you know, sort of going on the road against, you know, a, playing a team that's favored by double digits. You need to force turnovers. You need to win the turnover battle. And, you know, Georgia Tech really did that. Um, again, I'm not super worried about it just because this isn't who Miami's been. I haven't seen, you know, Rambo hasn't fumbled the ball a ton. Uh, Knighton, had, Knighton has been a little loose with it. He hasn't yeah. necessarily lost the fumbles like he yeah. did. You know, but he has like, I think there's been some like fumbles that have gone out of bounds or that, you know, have narrowly been ruled down with his knee hitting the ground first. So it is something I think Jalen needs to clean up. But honestly, like on the Rambo fumble, my issue with that is he put himself in that position by not running, like continuing to run to the left pylon. Like he tried to cut it back. Against and then the decided, grain. Yeah, and then like cut back again. Like he was dancing a little too much there, probably. Right. Just keep running. Like if he keeps running straight, uh, continues his momentum to that left pylon, I think he gets inside the 10. Yeah. I think there's a chance he even scores, right? Yeah. If he really was, turns on the it was like a, It was like a timing thing too, because he was like switching the ball from like, like he was he was holding it on his right arm and he was like transferring it to like his left yeah. arm I guess and like on the transfers when they got him on the back so again a little fluky I mean I, I can get on board with that Being yeah getting too a little cute. too cute I agree. so you know hopefully they can clean that stuff up um, I'll say this on the first drive I mean this is really getting in the weeds but I liked how they 
got Jacoby George and Romello Brinson involved yeah, in the in the nice. RPO game over the middle. And then that that first touchdown, I thought was a great ball to Mike Harley and a great catch because yeah. that Georgia Tech guy had him covered. Yeah. And uh Harley caught it, even though I would imagine it was hard for him to see the ball. And he got his foot down too. So yeah. you know. During, I don't think it's a coincidence that in this three-game winning streak, Miami has scored a touchdown on their opening possession of the game. Yeah. You know, I think that's big. What did you make of Tyler's performance after re-watching it? And I think let's let's have the conversation in this context. Like, obviously, produced big numbers. Um, but it, it, it caused a bit of a stir on the website, you know, when you look at the pro football focus grades after the game and you can, you can take them or leave them. Right. I think, I think it's, it's data that is enlightening. Um, but they did not necessarily grade Tyler. Well, um, they gave him a pretty average grade. I think, do you think that was harsh? Do you think it was fair? Was there anything you saw that indicated why he might've received that average grade? Yeah, um, you know, I thought maybe out of his last three performances, like if you're talking like the, I, I, I liked him better against Pitt and North Carolina and NC State. I mean, again, that's not to say this was a bad performance, but I thought he threw a couple interceptable passes. You know, I right. think he threw one. I think it was on the, I don't know, it was to the left side of the field. Like from where we were sitting, it's to the left side that that maybe should have been intercepted. He, that's was that the one of, to Restrepo? Maybe the one to Restrepo that I thought should have been intercepted. And then he threw one to the end zone, which I think was also to Restrepo. Like that's again, the that one I'm cor- talking about. Oh, yeah. that corner route to the end right. zone. Like that I feel like that's sort of him sort of just not, like living and dying by that first reader, just really falling in love with that route, which is fine. But if it's not there, you got to know that it's not there. And I get that. Like he f- obviously feels very confident in his ability to sort of place the ball. So I like that at the same time. And again, and I don't expect him to be a 10 to one interception ratio guy, his whole career. That would be fantastic, right. obviously, but he's going to make his mistakes. And those numbers are bound to maybe level out at some point. But I mean, I do want to see him make maybe, you know, again, this is just the growing pains of a quarterback. I'm not me. I'm not really critiquing him. I mean, this is just sort of the reality right. of it. I think you just got to be more particular about when you throw those balls. Um, if you're going to throw like, it, maybe in those shorter window situations, yeah. right. When the right. field got tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's nitpicking, right? He did it play well. Yeah, he played sure. well, but I think, you know, in terms of like, uh, explaining the average grade, um, I think PFF graded him out with four turnover worthy plays, which is what you're speaking to. Right. And, and they call that basically passes that should have been intercepted or were intercepted. Right. Okay. And I think too, they include that two point conversion that, you know, or the two okay. point attempt yeah. right. that was intercepted. Which is I think, fair. Right. I think they would include that in their grading. So that was obviously a turnover worthy play. It was an interception that doesn't count in traditional stats. Right. Um, so yeah, just, and again, that's another tight window situation where you just got to be on point with your reads. Um, and you can't force stuff in there. So to me, it's, it's good that he got that maybe hopefully out of his system rather than having to deal with that against a Florida state defense. That's going to be more talented and and probably picks off one of those. And and honestly too, Rhett Lashley brought that up in the press conference today. He said, you know, when he was, he said, Tyler played well, but 
uh, in terms of areas he can improve. He, in his grading, he said two or three. He said two or three balls that Tyler got away with. So um, that maybe should have been intercepted. So it's just something, you know, young quarterback growing pains. And again, to me, it speaks to how good he is, quite frankly, that he has an average grade and he throws for 380, right? Yeah, um, with three touchdowns. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to, again, that speaks to how good the guy is playing right now. Um, because, you know, when he has when he has a long field, a lot of field to throw to, he pushes it all over the field and that deep passing game is being unlocked. I think the next step for him is, okay, when you're in the red zone and you got to really fit it in those windows, um, can he do that? And so he can, it's just, he's got to figure it out. He's got to learn how to do it. Yeah. And he had that Uh, one just again, nitpicking a little bit, just like the Rambo. I feel like he had Rambo like sort of to the pylon on the right side where he just sort of overshot it a little bit. The scrambling one. Yeah. I would have liked to see him make that throw, but again, that's a tough throw, but yeah, Yeah. maybe if he took a little off it. Yeah. I feel like he put way too much on that. Yeah. So he had kind of had the, maybe not the time, but I feel like he had enough space where he could have just like little dart right at the pylon. And that's a, that's an easy touchdown. Again, I would, I was surprised by the average PFF grade. I thought Tyler played really well. Um, But I think that explains it. Right. And again, to the point, like, if they're grading him that way and he's throwing for 380 and three touchdowns, uh, give me 380 and three touchdowns and a quote unquote average grade every game of the year. <laughs> so right. exactly. Um, this kind of builds on Tyler. I'm really enjoying him work the RPO game. Um, I think that was an area that Derek wasn't great at. Like if I'm going to highlight, Besides the obvious like arm strength thing, right? Like Tyler does have a stronger arm than Derek. Um, but Tyler also works the RPO game. He's just more comfortable doing it. And Derek's good at other things, right? But he, he wasn't necessarily gr- consistent at running the RPO. And my guess would be it's because of his height. I think it's tough to see over the line and read the RPO game and all that stuff at times. Um, but I'm enjoying, and part of this too is the emergence of Charleston Rambo as a threat on the outside and the emergence of Jalen Knighton as an explosive back, you know, running back. So that RPO game, he's got that RPO. He can pull it, throw it uh, over the middle to Rambo whenever he wants, or he can hand it off to Knighton. And there was a lot of good edge rushes particularly to the right side. Um, And Jared Williams, I think is playing really well right now. Um, So basically what I'm getting at is, you know, I think Jalen Knighton, Charleston Rambo essentially are feeding off each other with their success. You better, basically they're putting in defenses in a pick your poison situation, right? You either put a safety over the top to stop the Rambo deep shot, and if you bring if you bring a safety into the box, you're going to the Rambo deep shot. If uh, if you put a safety over the top, you hand the ball off to Knighton for you know potential explosive play to the edge. So I'm enjoying this, and I don't know if you saw Gabby. I wrote an article where 
in terms of offensive trios during the last three weeks. Yeah. So this is a small sample size. It's only three weeks. Miami has the best trio in the country in terms of a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver. The second best, you know, most productive trio is what Ohio State has in uh, C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, and Jackson Smith uh, and Jigba. I don't know how to say his name, but yeah. uh, that's the that's the type of company that Miami's trio, that trio, is producing at right now. Um, did did anything stick out to you about Knighton? I guess in particular. I mean, really just his ability to sort of like handle the workload, right? Like, I mean, 32 carries on the game. Uh, I don't have the yardage off the top of my head, but I mean, went for like, was it like 150? Was that what he went for? 150, I think 160 maybe. Yeah. I like, exactly I mean, too. That's, that's a big time performance from a running back again. Uh, just sort of being like the guy, you know, just, I, I feel like, I mean, Rhett Lashley said before the year, he sort of wanted to find a guy. Like, you know, the, it seems like Jalen Knighton sort of emerged there and, just for him to be able to handle that and just after the game, be willing to sort of take that on even further. Just like, I can, I can do this every game if I need to, or whatever it is. Like, I think that's big man to have like your true, your true running back and a guy that you feel like you can rely on, you know, kind of like, you know, a three down guy. So I'm really intrigued by him and, you know, obviously really excited about what he brings to Miami's offense and he's been successful, man. I mean, despite a couple maybe short yardage packages where he's maybe just not like the perfect guy, for those sort of situations. Um, otherwise, I mean, just as an every down back, uh, you have to be really excited about what you're seeing from him. Yeah. We're finally seeing this season, you know, the, the simple, beautiful, explosive football that this Rhett Lashley offense can be. Um, I was looking at the stats, right. Uh, the explosive plays like plays of at least 20 yards or more past the line of scrimmage. Miami is now 14th in the country in plays of at least 20 yards um, earlier in the season, they were like in the nineties. So in these recent stretches, this, this last month or so, they have been one of the most explosive offensive teams in the country. Um, they're also ninth now in the country in plays of at least 50 yards. They have 10. Um, wow. So they're really clicking again. I'm looking at my notes, Jared Williams, want to shout him out. At times, he did a nice job of, of washing out the defensive end and run blocking. Uh, I also noticed him, too, on one of Jalen's edge rushes where he did a nice job of, of even getting to the second level, getting his hands on a linebacker, um, locking him out. And then on one of Jalen's, sh- on the short touchdown run by Jalen, he had a nice little pin down block, which made a, an easy you know, two-yard, three-yard run for Jalen into the end zone. So uh jared williams playing some high level football here in recent weeks and deserves a shout out um you know we can touch on these quick notes too will mallory i feel like he's turning the corner you know that that catch over the middle where he extended his his arms yeah big time uh need to see more of that from him um leonard taylor such a freak oh my gosh two tackles for loss uh, his athleticism in the twist game is, is just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I think you could make an argument when you look at it through the lens of which one of these freshmen is playing the hardest position for a freshman to make an impact at a true freshman. Uh, I think you could argue Leonard Taylor's having the most impressive season um, because 
to do the things he's doing as a true freshman defensive tackle is rare, is freaky. Um, DeAndre Johnson, I think he's been playing pretty well in recent weeks. You know, he's not he's not the, the most twitchy guy, not the most athletic guy. But in my opinion, he is the best bender around the edge. And uh, there was a couple pass rushes where he caught my attention doing a nice job of getting under the tackles pad level, bending around the edge, getting pressure on Jeff Sims. Um, on the flip side, in terms of like bad news, you know, I think James Williams had a rough game, if we're being honest. Um, I think on the 71-yard touchdown run by Jordan Mason, I think he got distracted by the eye candy of – so on that play, Georgia Tech ran a jet sweep. And he kind of took that eye candy and that allowed for Jordan Mason. Once he broke through the line of scrimmage, there was no safety there to get him on the ground. Really. Um, I think that would have been James Williams's responsibility. It, it ended up being Tyreek Stevenson that was trying to chase him down. And I think Cam Kitchens was also chasing him, but in my opinion, James Williams took the eye candy. I don't know. Um, I also think, you know, James got washed out on a delayed blitz uh, on that 29-yard touchdown run by Jameer Gibbs. So once uh, Gibbs, again, once he broke through the line of scrimmage, there was really no safety there. Yeah. He did make a nasty cut on Cam Kitchens to get to the touch, to get to the end zone. Um, but would have been nice if James was there too, impacting the play in some way. And then... Uh, you know, the 50-yard touchdown pass to Gibbs, I think was pretty – it was on James, in my opinion. He didn't use the sideline to his advantage um, when he was trying to close him down in that tackling angle. So, again, you know, James is a, is a big-time player. He's a freshman. These types of games are going to happen. Um, and he's the type of guy that's coachable and will learn from these, these games. Um, but, you know, I would imagine because he's a freshman – Florida State will will try and test him as well. Um, did did you did did you feel like maybe this was a, a rough game for James? Yeah, I feel like it, I definitely some of the things that you mentioned, like the on the on the fifty yard touchdown pass for Jameer Gibbs, it felt like James Williams had a chance and um, just sort of didn't finish it off. Um, yeah, man. Uh, again, I I didn't really like notice a ton, but yeah, just like after hearing, I mean, hearing you say it, it, it does make a ton of sense. Yeah, I feel like he's been good, but like I feel like there's still a completely different level of what he can play right now. Absolutely. Like, like if he's playing this way as like a junior, and we're I, don't think we, I don't think we, yeah, exactly. We are nitpicking. I just think there's a lot of growth that needs to happen there. I think he's extremely raw and talented yes. and what he has, you can't really teach, but I'm not sure that he's quite like, you know, there yet where not, not right. saying that he shouldn't be starting. No, but there's levels. There's a lot of room reach. there. Yeah, for right. sure. Right. Um, I have here in my notes, kicking the ball to Jameer Gibbs was frustrating. Yeah, bad idea. J yeah. Just allowing him to like have the ball in space, just bad idea. That kid is extremely like for real. Right. So that was confusing. Um, and then my last note, too many red zone field goals, right? To me, like yeah. besides the, you know, obviously the turnovers, uh, this was another area where Miami needs, you know, wasn't good enough. They went, I think they went 50% in terms of touchdown rate on their red zone trips. That needs to be 75%. So, you know, that might not sound like much, but 
if you get one more touchdown, that's, that's four more points rather than settling for the field goal. Those yeah. points matter at the end of the day. So especially if you're playing teams better than Georgia tech. So um, again, that kind of goes back to what I'm saying with Tyler Van Dyke working the short fields when things get tighter. Um, hopefully Miami's offense can take that step moving forward because I do think there's a chance, right? Defenses might adjust and play a style where they just try and keep everything in front of them as best as they can. You know, that, that bend, but don't break style, um, which means you're going to have to be efficient in the red zone. Um, a lot of times as you put down, as you put long sustained drives together. So anything else to touch on or move on to FSU? I'm ready for some FSU, man. All right. Always ready. FSU hate week. Uh, we hate FSU. <laughs> Anyways, first impressions of FSU. To me, it's really like, this is good. This is extreme, but I think it's fair. What stands out to me about FSU this year? I think they have, they have a good running game, including Jordan Travis, their quarterback. I think Jay Sean Corbin is a real running back. He's improved since last year. He's one of the best yards after he's, he's honestly the best yards after contact per carry running back in the country. Right. So that catches your attention, especially when Miami's not a very good tackling team. Um, and then their backup running back ward, pretty, pretty good too. So they have a good running game. They have a good defensive line, right? Um, Jermaine Johnson, I think, in my opinion, he's the best defensive lineman in the ACC this year. Um, he's their edge rusher, transferred from Georgia. So he, this is how crazy Georgia is stacked. He couldn't really get on the field like he wanted to at Georgia. So he transfers to Florida State, and he's the best defensive lineman in the ACC. In the conference. <laughs> so that's what you're dealing with at Georgia. Um, but outside of, and, and again, on the defensive line, Keir Thomas, he's a transfer from South Carolina. Um, he's been a very good edge setter, run defending defensive lineman. Um, Fabian Lovett, kind of an athletic defensive tackle. He transferred before last season from Mississippi State. So it's a different looking defensive line. They are impactful. 2.78 sacks per game, 6.2 tackles for loss. Honestly, like Miami during this four-game winning streak against Florida State, Miami has had the better defensive line play. Um, I don't know if that's the case this year. I think Florida State has the edge there this year. Uh, but outside of running back or running game, I should say, because you have to include Jordan Travis. The personnel on this team, to me, looks like Syracuse or Duke. I love that take. Do you, do you disagree? <laughs> I mean, no, no, I don't. I mean, that's what stands out about them. I mean, it's the way they run the ball and it's the way they sort of, you know, really that front four that sort of gets gets after it. I mean, Amari Gaynor, I think, could have a, a conference. Like, you know, I think he's a, a solid linebacker. Um, but really, it's 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 those those defensive linemen that create a lot of havoc. I mean, I watched that, I watched their game, uh, against NC state and, you know, they, they gave, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Knight and Ricky Pearson, a Ricky person, a, a hard time, you know, like th those guys were really, really getting after it. Um, you know, against Clemson, you know, they, I thought they did an okay job. Like this is an okay front 
four, I guess, of Florida State's defense. Um, the running backs again. Jayshon Corbin has been one of the best with the yards after with the yards after contact, and you know Trayshawn Ward and Jordan Travis and those guys. But I mean, outside of that, I'm looking at Florida State. Like, is that going to be enough? I mean, I don't think so. Um, I do think that they play hard. You know, I do yes. think that they sort of they sort of battle. You know, I'm not. They're not getting like steamrolled by the Clemsons or the NC States or any of those. Even though I do think one of those touchdowns that they had against uh, NC State was pretty fluky. Um, you know, I do think that they compete and that they, you know, they, they play pretty hard for, for Mike Norvell. So I really think it starts up front for them on defense and on the back end, I think that there's a lot to be had and I'm really excited about what, uh, Charleston Rambo and, and some of these guys are going to be able to do. Yeah, I think so. I'm impressed, honestly, by the way that their coaching staff is scheming things up because again, I don't think their personnel is very good. Um, but I do think this coaching staff, this Mike Norvell coaching staff does a good job of putting what they do have in position to succeed. Um, so if Florida state does start getting better players, they're going to be a, a, a tough team. They're going to be a very tough out. Um, yeah. right now they don't have the players. Um, and look, man, that defensive line. Uh, has transformed that defense year over year. Last year, Florida State's defense was in the conversation of being one of the worst Power 5 defenses in the country. Um, they are much improved this year. And uh, I don't know if I would argue this, but you could argue that their defense is better than Miami's this year. I think they're pretty equal. They have different strengths, but... I think FSU's defense is this isn't the same FSU defense that Miami faced last year and, and, you know, dropped a 50 burger on. Um, so, and a good defensive line as Miami knows, right. Uh, Miami fans know can mask a lot of issues in the back seven. Um, and I will say this, right. This FSU defense does allow big plays um, against NC state they allowed four plays of at least 30 yards, um, which is a lot. Yeah. And two of them, uh, I think, went for touchdowns, or maybe three of them. Right. And again, Miami's offense is extremely explosive right now in the downfield passing game. Um, you know, I think teams are having, if teams can block it up against Florida State and they have a quarterback that can push it downfield those teams generally do have success against this Florida state team because the consistency, the talent level on the back end just isn't there. Um, so huge key to this game is, uh, blocking it up front in terms of, uh, offense. It all boils down to the run game, right? They're rushing for 190 yards per game. Um, Jordan Travis, one of the most elusive quarterbacks in the country, We've talked about Jay Sean Corbin. Um, you look at their passing stats and it's, it's gross. Honestly, it's not good. It's 187 passing yards per game. I don't think they have receivers that get separation. I don't think they have receivers that are just dangerous in general. Um, their leading receiver in terms of receptions is their running back, Jason, Jay Sean Corbin, who has 19 receptions, but only 90 yards. Um, you know, 
they just have a lot of guys that uh, like their wide receivers to me are a bunch of like number threes, number fours. So if you can stop the run and if you can force Florida state to have to throw the ball and also too, their pass blocking is still bad. um, Miami's going to win this game. So anything else on Florida state, we'll get more in depth in them later in the week. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. All right. We hate Florida state though. Hate them. All right. So let's take a break and uh, it will be Gabby time because we're going to talk some recruiting. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, we're back. Gabby, it's a big week always, every year, Florida State Week in terms of recruiting. Um, and there is going to be some guys up there, right, that Miami's chasing. Remind us that just some of the key players that we know will be there. I know Wesley the Saint is one, the four-star linebacker out of Miami Central. Who else? Yeah, uh, Nigel e. Kelly is going to be up in Tallahassee for for that one. Uh, Demario Tolan is going to be another one that's up there. I think in terms of just like direct like Miami Florida State battles, at least for now, um, I think that's probably going to be it. But those are still three yeah. big time names that uh, Miami's definitely in for and uh, definitely want to, you know, just show out against. Who do you think, like, in terms of just the result for the game, it doesn't even necessarily need to be like, like, I would say of those three, right, Miami's in the best spot with the Saint, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, in terms of the result, maybe swinging the recruitment one way or the other of those three guys, who do you think that the result of this game might have the biggest swing effect on? Yeah, that's interesting. I think you can probably make an argument for both guys. Um, I don't know, man. I'm just not getting the, the, the right vibes from Nigel Kelly right now. So from that, just because of that, I, I'll probably go to Mario Tolan. Um, again, a guy that just came down and visited Miami, uh, you know, sort of maybe looking around after everything that's going on at LSU. Um, you know, definitely taking his visits. He was at Georgia this past weekend, going to be in Tallahassee this coming weekend. Uh, again, already visited Miami. So just another opportunity to impress him 
Uh, it's going to be a good atmosphere over there. So, I mean, I think you want to perform well, especially on the defensive end. And, uh, you know, I think when the last time I talked to him out, outside of Hard Rock Stadium, he told me that, you know, stopping the run is a lot has a lot to do with what the linebackers do. So I think if Miami were to go out there and sort of, you know, sort of handle that Florida State rushing attack, I think that would be really impressive to him. So again, a great opportunity to make a, another good impression on, on DeMario Tolan. So I'll probably lean that way right now. Okay. And Wesley Bessaint was at Hard Rock Stadium, right? Right. This past week. And, uh, you know, I guess he left early, right? But it was good that he was there. Um, exactly. How many times has he watched them play this year? Do you know? He's been at Hard Rock Stadium four times. Um, okay. So, and he did leave the game early. I'm not sure how big of a deal that is. But he might have had something yeah. to do, but he was, he was also he at, was there. He, and he was at the school earlier earlier last week. So at some point over the past week or so, he was actually in Coral Gables walking around the school and all that stuff. So, I mean, he got plenty of time with the staff and he got a, you know, just being able to sort of be around them and stuff like that. So that's always, that's always good too. Okay. And Zane Durant, four-star defensive tackle out of the Orlando area, also at Hard Rock Stadium. He's committed to Penn State. You were able to catch up with him. Uh, What was the vibes you got from that conversation yeah um you know it seems like he's sort of saying all the right things about penn state but um you know when, when you're committed to a school like that and you take other visits i think that that means something uh no matter how much you try to sort of mask that or hide that um you know i i think he wanted to come see miami play and you know was that a product of the fact that you know they had finally started stringing together a couple wins that he sort of wanted to maybe look at miami again and say hey let's see what's going on down there um, you know, DeMar- again, he's just being a central Florida guy. I know he's friends with Demario Tolan. Um, you know, could that be some sort of connection again, just speculating here, but you know, uh, you never really know how that goes. Um, I just, I thought that Miami did everything that they could there. You know, they, they played the young guys, the young guys made plays. I think that was impactful, for, impactful for him, but right. I think ultimately he's still committed to Penn state right now. And, uh, it seems like Miami's going to go down to the wire trying to flip him. So, I think it's one of these situations that you're happy to get him on campus. You're happy to put string together a win while he's there. And, you know, you just got to sort of keep chipping away and see if you can get him to stay closer to home. Probably the thing to watch there, right, is James Franklin, right? I mean, Miami's essentially putting themselves in a position where if James Franklin does move on to USC or LSU or to a different job, Miami might be there to reap the benefits of that, right? Yeah, I think that that's fair too. I mean, like you got to be looking at what James Franklin has going on right now. And again, the USC interest, the LSU, who knows what other job opens up that could, you know, pique James Franklin's interest. He's going to be one of the hottest names on the coaching, like, you know, in the coaching carousel. And, you know, it seems like his name's already been linked to USC. So, I mean, I think if you're one of those guys, you have to sort of maybe do your due diligence and at least give yourself another option or just sort of look around a little bit more. I think if something were to happen there, I think, uh, you know, a pivot to Miami for Zane Durant would be extremely possible. Let's move on to uh, some new, newish offers. I guess on the offensive line specifically, right? seems like Miami's expanding the board. Who, who are the names to know? What do we know about those situations? Yeah. Uh, the first, well, the guy they most recently offered was Jacarius Peak. He plays at Valdosta High School in Georgia. 
probably if you watched like the what, is, what was the name of the show the the netflix show that had jake Garcia in it uh, i don't even remember the I name i forget it was it wasn't friday night lights title town if you watch title town uh he was a he was like a he's a pretty main person in that show oh, is right? that him i think the big guy really I, i'm pretty okay. i'm pretty sure that's him um okay. so again i'm not 100 percent sure i only watched i only watched a little bit of the show but people have said that he's like a part of that show that you'd recognize him from the show so I guess. And um, so Miami offered him, he's generated some power five interest over the last month or so. Uh, you have like a bunch of ACC schools like Georgia tech, Louisville, Virginia, Virginia tech have offered LSU offered Miami became the most recent to offer. Uh, I know that there is a connection between Jakari Brown and uh, Jakarius peak. I think some people in Jakari's uh, camp are directly like they know uh, his mother uh, peak's mother so there is some sort of relationship there. I think if, let's say, Miami were to pursue, uh, I think that there's enough connections there where there would be a, at least a sense of comfort that, you know, Jakari and uh, Jakarius would maybe be playing in school together. I don't know. They're from the same town. Valdosta, I can't imagine, is a very big town. So, um, I mean, I think that there's some sort of connection there. So that's pretty exciting. Do you think Miami will go all in and push? I mean, I think there's a chance, you know, uh, he was described to me as someone that like sort of checks off a lot of the boxes physically, uh, that he has like that sort of physicality as well, just in terms of just kind of having like that dog in him. Uh, he was described to me as a pretty similar prospect, uh, as, uh, flip, uh, Philanthia Carswell, the other offensive lineman commit, uh, in the way that they're both very physically gifted, but are maybe a little underdeveloped right now, just, you know, with coaching and the offensive line position, it's a very technical spot. You know, the coaching coaching's really big at that spot and development is really big, but b- both of them just being high upside guys with sort of how they're just naturally built. Um, so there was a comparison to, to Carswell, which I think would be exciting. I mean, I think that Carswell is going to be is a is a really good prospect. Peak maybe more of an interior guy. Yeah, Peak's but, more uh, of a guard, right? Yeah, Peak's more of a guard, more of an inside guy, and uh, you know, he's, the people I've talked to think that he could be sort of a mauler in there once he develops, and uh, again has the size that you want and checks off a lot of those boxes. And who's there was another offensive line offer, correct? Oh, they offered a kid from California um, a few weeks ago. God, I got to remember. I got to pull up his name now, but. Um, I think it was Lucas Brown, something like that. Okay. Uh, And I mean, there's a direct, like he, his dad was like one of Jim Kelly's offensive linemen for years, like for a long time that that Jim Kelly still has a connection with the family. And, um, you know, they've, I mean, they really just talked to him about just like Miami and all stuff. His dad played for the dolphins too, I think. And so, you know, there is another, there is another name on the board that I think could be, could be interesting for, for Miami fans to sort of know. Again, there's a kid that's out West. He's committed to Cal. Um, so, you know, there, there is more names. They continue to sort of expand the board. You do have Matthew McCoy and St. Augustine too, who's a, who's a, a name that Miami fans should be familiar with. Uh, he was sort of trending towards Florida. Florida obviously uh, fired their offensive line coach, John Hefsey. Interested to see how that sort of shakes that one up. I guarantee justice has been, been to St. Augustine to watch McCoy. Uh, I think uh, he's going to officially visit Miami the weekend of December 3rd. So again, a guy that maybe was trending to Florida that Miami may be able to benefit off. So definitely a, a few names in the offensive line room that are sort of, uh, you know, sort of like, I guess, hovering around that, you know, Miami could potentially pick off a few. Jaden Harris, uh, cornerback offer to know out of the Atlanta area, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just talking to people and Coral Gables about him, uh, they seem really high on him, just sort of what he's been able to put on tape. Uh, you know, they think that he's, again, he sort of checks off a lot of the box for them in terms of just how he's able to make plays on the ball. Uh, just his sort of natural cover ability, his ability to make plays, uh, you know, just really on the offensive side too. And just, you know, they really like his sort of skill set. Haven't seen him in person, but it seems like he's a guy that they really, really like. So again, I was sort of told that, uh, you know, maybe he should be a name to sort of watch out for because it feels like, a, you know, DeMarcus Van Dyke, T-Rob, those types of guys are are a big fan of him and his game. So uh, definitely a guy to sort of monitor to see how that goes. I'm not sure if an official visit has been set up yet by him. I know he was tr- working on trying to get down maybe even for the game this past weekend, but uh, we'll see if maybe he makes his way down for Virginia Tech or even later into December before the early signing period. And then you you mentioned, you know, Florida's made some moves. Things are getting interesting in Gainesville. Does, what does that mean from a Miami recruiting standpoint? Are they prepared to make a push for any of those commits, you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they how they sort of push. Again, uh, I mean, two of Florida's wide receiver commits are guys that were, you know, that Miami was sort of recruited really hard. I mean, you got Isaiah they got Bond. got official visits, right? Yeah, they got, got official visits from Isaiah Bond and Jaden Gibson. I mean, just talking to some people in Coral Gables, again, I think Isaiah Bond could be a, a guy to watch out for. Uh, you know, there was a time that people thought he was headed to Miami. You know, uh, the director of recruiting, Steve Wiltfong, had a crystal ball in for Miami at one point, uh, really before Florida sort of came around and pushing. It felt like him and Jakari were going to sort of commit to Miami coming off that, you know, early year uh, unofficial visit where they were able to meet with, uh, you know, leaders in the city of Miami and things like that and were able to sort of, you know, be around the program during that dead period where they weren't allowed to interact with the coaches in person, but made that effort to come down. And, you know, people, I, again, so he's a guy that they're very, very familiar with. And, uh, you know, even before he was the, the number one athlete in the nation, when he was just a three-star that Miami sort of offered because they liked the film and all that stuff. Uh, before he really, he blew up. Uh, this is a guy that they identified. So I know that Isaiah Bond could be a name to watch. They love the speed. They love right. really everything about his game. And, you know, again, Miami has a lot to sell right now, just given the way yeah. the offense is sort of clicking with Tyler Van Dyke sort of, co- I mean, coming back for at least another year uh, and this offense, the way it's sort of been explosive, uh, the chances for big plays, the way that they're able to just sort of move the ball down the field, it has to be super attractive. And again, if you're sort of in this Florida situation, you, I, I feel like you, you probably don't know exactly what's happening right now. Is there a guarantee that Dan Milling comes back if he doesn't, which Again, I'm not really super familiar with the situation, so I don't know if he is or isn't. But if he's not, I think Isaiah Bond sort of looks at Miami and, and sees a, a potential opportunity to come in and contribute. And then uh, Miami's also keeping in touch with a four-star Georgia commit safety slash striker, Ja'Cory Thomas. Um, is that just keeping that relationship alive just in case Georgia lands more five-stars and pushes him out? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. You know, this is a guy, again, who officially visited Miami over the summer. Uh, Miami was really sitting in a pretty good spot there at one point. And then Georgia sort of decided to pull the trigger on the offer. Uh, You know, he committed shortly after. He went from Miami. The next visit he took was Georgia. And boom, a few days later, he was committed to Georgia. Um, I think Miami is just sort of there. Uh, You know, his words to me were, you know, if anything happens with Georgia, you know, we're here for you, basically. Um, I think he's sort of aware of the level that, George is recruiting at right now. I think he's aware that there is a chance at least that, you know, they go and let's say land a Kamari Wilson, who's the number one safety in the country. 
potentially land a couple other guys just with the way they were they're recruiting right now he is aware that they can get pretty much whoever they want and if they decide they want two more safeties he could be in a spot where he could be looking around and just saying like all right maybe there's just not a spot for me here anymore and i think miami would be extremely happy to take him at that point again not saying that that will happen or not not saying that even kamari wilson alone will scare him away but again with georgia playing the way they are right now that they could potentially win a national championship with this roster and just the way they're recruiting um you know numbers maybe could get tight uh right. and he could be looking for another spot so i think miami's just sort of positioning themselves in a way that just in if, case yeah if like the stars align i guess in their favor uh jacory thomas is a guy that they would like and miami would have their striker let's end the recruiting segment on this like if miami goes out and wins comfortably against florida state in your opinion does that generate some buzz for miami like let's say a 14 point or more win is that going to catch attention of recruits you think or not really yeah i think it would i mean that that would give them their fourth straight win again obviously you know another big win over florida state um i think you just sort of continue that dominance uh you know, against that in-state program, you know, really on the field, they settle it on the field and the recruiting rankings could look the way they look. But I mean, what happens on Saturdays ultimately dictates uh, the direction of a program. And it feels like Miami's ahead of Florida State at this point. And again, a double digit win, a 14 point win would just further that. And again, things don't always look good right now, but things change as we get closer to signing day. And, uh, you know, I think that that would be a huge help for them. I mean, I think just winning games period would be a big help for them from this point on. So you know, just doing it against Florida State uh, in a big atmosphere with a ton of recruits in attendance. Um, I, I think that's only going to help them. And again, uh, a couple guys in the stands there that, you know, have Miami sort of involved and uh, maybe even some 2023s that we're maybe we're not talking about right now that are probably going to be there and be looking at Miami and being like, yeah, like, you know, that team is for real. Like, that, you know, they can come in here and, and beat this Florida team, this Florida State team around. And, uh, you know, that matters to me. So, you know, I think the recruiting impact uh, goes for, goes beyond the 2022 class. And, you know, I think it would be huge for Miami to go in there and sort of handle business the way that they probably should. But uh, I guess we'll see how it's hit, how the dust settles on on Saturday. Let's, uh, anything else to touch on with, with recruiting that I missed? No, nah, I mean, I, I think it was basically everything. Let's, uh, let's review some of the press conference news and notes with Manny Diaz today. Um, he did announce that Gervin Hall, the veteran safety and linebacker Bradley Jennings Jr. are basically entering the transfer portal, exploring options elsewhere. So wish them best, the best of luck. I think, you know, Gervin got passed up by the, the young guys. Um, Bradley, you know, never really. Never really got to play much once uh, Corey Flagg kind of established himself as the middle linebacker that the staff liked. So, again, wish them the best of luck. Uh, this is just modern college football. Um, if guys aren't playing, they're going to look for options elsewhere. So, again, that's why you have to always stack talent. Um, Gabby, you transcribed it. Manny Diaz. It was a long one. It was a super long one. Um, I want to ask you about the question I asked. Yeah, go ahead. So let tell, tell people what you asked. So I asked Manny about, you know, generally, um, generally recruiting success is a reflection of on-field success, right? Um, 
Right now, Miami is experiencing a three-game winning streak. So that would also help you recruit better, hypothetically, right? Or at least allow you to sell more easily what you're trying to get done. Um, but I asked him, does he feel like uh, Blake James's actions of doing his secret clandestine media tour the day before a game in which he clearly tried to separate himself from Coach Diaz, if that has allowed opportunities for schools he is competing with on the recruiting trail to negative recruit Miami. Um, what was his answer, Gabby? Yeah, I mean, he basically said that, you know, he's sure that their recruits are basically getting peppered. I mean, his words were that they're getting peppered with, um, you know, Oh, he's negative sure recruiting. that, that yeah, with negative recruiting. <laughs> he said, I, mean, I would do it if I was. Yeah, recruiting that's, against that's literally what he said. Like, if he was, if he was another coach, he would definitely hold Miami against that. So, um, I think that's again, and I think that you, your follow up was like, oh, like, do you think it, or that he just didn't think that you would win st- three straight games? So, I followed up, like yeah. right? So, Manny agreed, right? Um, which kind of shows what he thinks about Blake James. Um, and I agree with Manny in the, this like Blake again we keep saying this Blake made a bet Blake put all his chips in the table and he's losing he lost um it's time for him to go so then I followed up and said you know do you think those actions by your athletic director show that he does not understand how everything impacts recruiting everything can be turned in a positive or a negative light with recruiting? Uh, or do you think Blake James is surprised? Or I said, do you think Blake did not count on you winning three straight games? Yeah. And he, he didn't want to touch that one, which I understand. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the reason why I asked that is because those actions by Blake James has put Miami in a bind. Because let's say Manny Diaz does win out and he goes eight and four and they want to keep him, you know, they want to roll it into next year, see what he's got. Well, Manny now has a real case to ask for an extension because what Blake James did, you know, basically sandbagged him on the recruiting trail. And again, everything in college football at the end of the day comes back to recruiting. Like I know a lot of people don't like following recruiting um, because it can be crazy at times, but everything at the end of the day comes back to recruiting and recruiting perception and, and what's going on in that phase of your program. And in this case, Manny Diaz would be in the right to ask for an extension because how can he go out and recruit a full year if you know, all these schools out there are going to point out to recruits, hey, their administration doesn't believe in Manny Diaz. You know, half of the fan base doesn't believe in Manny Diaz. You know, yeah, they're, they're doing a good job. They turned it around. But how you, you don't know that Manny Diaz is going to be there for your three or four years because right. it seems like no one there is backing him. So if the UM decision makers want to bring Manny Diaz back for one more year, they're going to have to give him an extension 
and, and probably they're going to have to uh, make that buyout even bigger. So right now it's like an $8 million buyout. If I'm Manny Diaz, I'm leveraging them for a 10 or $12 million buyout moving forward if they want to extend them, which if they bring them back another year, they're going to have to extend them because of recruiting. Yeah. Um, so again, another example of malpractice as an athletic director by Blake James. Um, and also the UM decision makers straight up have to come. They have to make a decision where, look, even if Manny goes eight and four and they're not sold on Manny being the head coach for a long term, why would you give him an extension? Why not just cut the cord now? So Blake James has put the whole program in a bind, you know, no matter what, at the end of the day, what si whatever side of this Manny Diaz debate you are on, whether he's the guy or not, um, Blake James continues to show his incompetence um, with his rogue decisions. Um, so anything else Manny Diaz said that, that stood out to you? Um, I mean, just like, I mean, just nothing like, I guess in particular, um, right. he did talk like, a lot, but there wasn't talked, much there. He talked a lot. Yeah. But it was just very, just like, Oh, the respect between the Florida state and Miami, like all the great facts and stuff that he just knows off the top of his head, you know, obviously paid his respect to, to Bobby Bowden and, and, right. uh, you know, what he meant to him in his life and things that he's taken from him, uh, which was really nice and stuff like that. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting with the stat he said about Georgia Tech and the rushing game, which I don't know if it's actually true or not that he said that like <laughs> Georgia Tech finished with like 135 yards rushing, but like four of the plays was like 136 yards. And then the 26 plays or something were like negative one yards. I was like, I'm not sure if that's true, but maybe <laughs> like, I don't know, like check him, like, check him, Gabby. Yeah, I need to like fact check that because like he just said that and it just sounded wrong to me. It could be right. I mean, I don't know how well, they do their stats and we their know, things, but maybe we it know was. one touchdown was 71. We know one 71. touchdown was 29, right? Yeah. So there's a so hundred, a hundred yards right there. So if there was what, two other runs that went for whatever, he might be right. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. But, but we can't play that. What if game? Like I hate the, what yeah, if exactly. Game. So yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, Rhett Lashley said this Florida State defensive line is the best Miami has faced since, you know, uh, Alabama or maybe Michigan State, in his opinion. And he did add, like, across the board, he thinks this Florida State defensive line might be the twitchiest one they faced this year, which I think is interesting, right? Um, Do you buy that? Just um, quick. like, do you think that that was a better def like a better defensive line than like NC State or like Pitt yeah. or any of those guys? I think Pitt. There's a conversation there. Uh, I think Pitt probably had better D tackles, but Fabian Lovett's good in his own right, and I think Jermaine Johnson is better than Pitt's best edge. Yeah, and uh, Keir Thomas honestly is better than I thought he'd be, um, and I think he's better than Pitt's other defensive end. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is true. I would say they're the best defensive line they've faced since Bama. Um, okay. And it's just a different style. It's more that, like, Miami undersized, twitchy defensive line yeah. style rather than the Alabama sludge hammer and still have twitch freaks. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, 
he talked about the short yardage, right? And essentially he said, at the end of the day, the offensive line has like, if you have to go get a yard, the offensive line has to go get a yard. It doesn't matter if everyone in the building knows that they're going to run the ball at the middle, the offensive line needs to impose their will. That's his thinking. Um, he also, he did say like some of those short yardage situations, Tyler made that wrong RPO read. Like, I guess he said there was one where will you know, the play, the right read would have been throwing it to Will Mallory in the flat and it would have gone for like eight that, yards. That, that's what I was calling for. That's will right. Mallory in the flat off the RPO. Right. So, but I guess Tyler handed it off to Knighton instead and went nowhere. Um, he also said, you know, maybe the workload Knighton was, was getting, you know, up until that fourth quarter, it was just too much and, and you know, sapped his energy, et cetera. The strength needed to get those short yardage situations. So I don't know if anything is going to change, quite frankly. I think, I mean, other than maybe they do some RPO type stuff rather than um, like RPO passes. Yeah. Rather than change personnel and short yardage and all that. He's, he did say they're going to give Cody Brown and Thad Franklin more of a look. I don't know. In practice. I, I think that's lip service. Quite frankly, I am all for just writing it out with Jalen Knight. Um, right. Yeah. But he did say that. T-Rob, he essentially said Marcus Clark is coming along nice with his man coverage skills and ball skills. Uh, he said the freshman safeties, you know, a lot of things have been simplified for them, but they're, they're doing a good job of handling things. Um, so that was it. We got all that stuff on the website too. If you guys want to watch all those interviews, um, I think we'll wrap it up there, man. We appreciate all of you listening. Um, except you dirty, rotten FSU scoundrels that are listening to this podcast. We hate you. It's FSU hate week. The hate listens count the same. That's true. That's fair. So, <laughs> till next time. Except you, dirty rotten FSU scoundrels. I'm gonna I'm gonna hate listen on the bench in a Take little care. bit too. So, oh, I love those guys. I enjoy yeah. listening to that. Yeah. So, till next time. Take care. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.